Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. And when they'd sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Now verse 54. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask that you open our hearts. Give us grace to receive you, to love you, to obey you, and to follow Christ wherever he leads. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Mark chapter 15 is about the physical anguish of Christ's suffering. Mark chapter 14 is about the relational anguish of Christ's sufferings. Jesus comes to his own people, but they prefer money rather than their Savior, in the case of Judas. Jesus comes to his own people, but they prefer Caesar rather than their heavenly king, in the case of of the Pharisees. They prefer to go with the crowd rather than with the suffering servant, in the case of Peter. For three years, Jesus traveled with the disciples. They preached together. They healed the sick and exercised demons together. They share meals together. They go in private, and Jesus teaches them the secrets of the kingdom of God. But the religious leaders of Israel plot to arrest Jesus. The disciples scatter. Judas betrays him. And Peter denies him. Back in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus taught them, Take up your cross and follow me. But at the first sign of a cross, they scamper away. Mark chapter 14 is explaining how it is that Jesus goes to the cross alone. And so we pick up the story in verse 26, where Jesus, like all the kings of Judah, has just finished his royal banquet, the Last Supper. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, which means Jesus' death is the fulfillment of prophecy. 
So in verse 27, Jesus quotes Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Now, when the New Testament quotes the Old Testament in brief, it's usually recalling the larger passage. So it's not just about what's happening in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. It's about what's happening in that entire section of Zechariah. And Zechariah chapter 13 is about the coming cleansing from sin and reform of the existing religious institutions. So in Zechariah 13, how will this cleansing take place? How will this reform take place? Well, as we see Jesus quoting Zechariah 13, 7, the sword is commanded to strike the shepherd. But if you notice in Mark 14, 27, when Jesus quotes this passage, he changes it. And it says, I will strike the shepherd. When Jesus or any of the New Testament authors modify an Old Testament quotation like this, it is for the purpose of interpretation. And the meaning here is that God himself is doing the striking. Why? Why does God need to do this to his son, the shepherd? Well, the answer was given back in verse 24. Remember, Jesus is pouring out his blood. He is the Lamb of God. He is receiving the punishment on behalf of those who would believe in him. Furthermore, in Zechariah chapters 9 through 14, it's about the climactic end of the age. And so by quoting it here, Jesus is saying that the end of the age has arrived in him. And the shepherd is struck down. And what is the result when the shepherd is struck down? Well, verse 27, the sheep scatter. Now Jesus predicted Judas' betrayal back in verse 20. And now he predicts Peter's denial in verse 27 and verse 30. Peter vigorously protests that he would never deny Christ. And we see as we jump to verse 66 that Peter does deny Christ. He's afraid to confess Jesus publicly. He's intimidated by a servant girl in verse 66 who asks if Peter was with Jesus. Peter tries to evade the question by claiming ignorance. Then the charges and denials escalate in verses 68 through 71. In verse 68, the text says, he denied it. And this is in the aorist perfect tense, so it should be understood as he kept on denying it. Peter progresses from playing ignorant of Christ in verse 68 to outright denying Christ in verse 70 to swearing a curse upon himself to deny any association with Jesus in verse 71. Mark chapter 14, verse 71 is the greatest failure of the disciples, besides Judas, recorded in the New Testament. And this event is recorded in all four Gospels. Then Peter hears the rooster crow the second time, and he weeps tears of sorrow and repentance. In this story of Peter's denial, we need to understand two things. First, we need to understand how does Peter go from exuberant faith in verses 26 through 31 to denial of Christ in verses 66 through 72. And second, we need to understand what are the steps of restoration 
See, unlike Judas's betrayal of Christ, Peter is restored to Christ. And so let's begin first. How does Peter go from exuberant faith to denial? Well, there's four steps. Step one is the big talk of Peter. The big talk of Peter. So picking up in verse 29, Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. We see the big talk of Peter. We see Peter's vehemence, the intensity of Peter's affirmation of loyalty only serves to make his failure all the greater. Peter doesn't realize it yet, but his words are just a game of pretend. When the heat of the fire hits his face, he emphatically denies Jesus with just as much fervor as he emphatically pledges loyalty to Jesus. Those with an immature faith, those with an undeveloped faith, often make big, emphatic claims. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You see, children often speak this way, constantly announcing what they're going to do rather than doing anything. And this is the sort of thing that James warns about in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, when he warns against boasting about the future, since only God knows the future. So why do people do this? Why do people talk big? Why do people boast about the future? Why do people make these big, emphatic claims, like Peter does here? Well, there's several reasons. The most obvious reason is because talk is easier than action, as Peter learns. People who boast about the future do so because you can't be proven wrong in the moment. I'm going to do this in three years. You can't be proven wrong with that statement in the moment. And so it's easy to say that and to associate yourself with some big thing that you haven't actually done. And so instead of earning the thing, or proving the thing by doing it, they get the temporary and short-sighted glory of some big talk. But also, big talk is often hiding something. And this is the case with Peter. Back in verse 19, Peter begins to wonder if he was the one who would betray Jesus. And he's there and he's doubting himself and he's saying, is it I? And so Peter's brash self-confidence, I would never deny you is a thin sheet covering his self-doubt. Is it I? And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, rather than playing the part of a fool and filling your day with big talk, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, or big talk about some subject, instead of that, fill your days with faithfulness. And faithfulness starts by sticking with the community of Christ, which takes us to our next step in Peter's denial. So how does Peter go from exuberant faith to denial? Well, step one is the big talk of Peter. Step two is the scattering of the disciples. 
In verse 27, Jesus prophesies that they will scatter, and they do. Why did the disciples scatter? Why didn't they stay together? We're told in verse 50 that after Jesus was arrested, all the disciples fled. Why? Why did they flee? And perhaps they feared arrest, but the underlying issue seems to be that once Jesus is arrested, the disciples think this is the end of their little community. The leader is arrested. They believe the community of disciples is finished. The disciples used to gather around Jesus. Now Jesus is gone, and so they scatter. And notice, what does Peter gather around now that Jesus is gone? Verse 54, And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. So what does Peter gather around now? Well, Peter gathers around the fire. Where is the fire located? In the courtyard of the enemy. In the courtyard of the high priest. And who is Peter gathered with? The guards. The very people who arrested Jesus. Peter denies Jesus so he can join himself to a new community the community forming around the fire. Peter scatters from the community of Christ to join the community that denies Christ. And interestingly, in John's gospel, Peter is restored to fellowship with Jesus at another communal fire, the breakfast fire at the shore of Tiberias. And at the breakfast fire, after the resurrection, Peter rejoins the communion of Jesus, gathering around Christ and the disciples of Christ, where Jesus is vindicated as the innocent scapegoat. So I want you to notice the tendency. When Peter is with the crowd around their fire, he mimics their denial. When Peter is with the disciples around Jesus's Fire Restored to Jesus, Peter mimics Jesus. This is the tendency not just for Peter. This is the tendency for you and for me. People tend to mimic the community they join. People tend to mimic the people they listen to and they spend time with. And you are no different. And that leads to the next step of how Peter went from exuberant faith to denial. So step one is the big talk of Peter. Step two is the scattering of the disciples. And step three is the contagion of the crowd. How does Peter go from exuberant faith in verses 26 to 31 to denial in verses 66 to 72? Well, crowd contagion is part of Peter's Denial. And it's interesting to look at the communal dynamics taking place in verses 66 through 72. Why is Peter in the courtyard? Well, it starts because he is following Jesus and the arresting party, as we read in verse 54. But once he enters the courtyard, he warms himself by the fire with the guards, with the crowd. Now that he is there at the fire with the crowd, 
He joins them. He sits with the guards in verse 54. He chats with the servants in verses 66 through 72. What is he doing? He is communing with the crowd. A large fire on a cold night attracts people because of its heat and light. A fire provides a center of attraction and people arrange themselves around it. They become a community. All turn towards the fire in the same ritual, hands stretched out to get warm. And here is Peter joining the communal order of his new community. In verse 67, they notice that he's a Galilean. He has a different accent and Peter is recognized as one of Jesus' followers. And Peter denies Jesus. Why? Why does he do it? Because he's mimicking the crowd. He is imitating his new communal order. And this is what people always do. You always mimic your communal order. Try to tell me Sunday worship doesn't matter. You always mimic the communal order you join yourself to. And so he imitates them, trying to fit in with all the other people sitting around the fire. I'm calling it crowd contagion. It's just peer pressure. Peer pressure is another phrase for crowd contagion. And I think old people think that, you know, peer pressure is something young people are susceptible to, too, susceptible to. And that's true. But peer pressure impacts the old as well as the young. And so we all need to be on guard and recognize that those we surround ourselves with will influence us. We will mimic them. And it doesn't matter if you're a child or you're an adult. Peer pressure impacts all of us. And peer pressure can be either a dangerous, a sanctifying grace. It can make you compromise your most dearly held principles, or if you join yourself to the right peers, it can help you hold fast to your most dearly held principles. When you are scattered away from the church and go join the crowd, you suddenly, and again, notice how suddenly Peter changes his allegiances. This isn't over a long period of time. This is all within a very short amount of time. But when you are scattered from the church and you go join the crowd, you suddenly are driven by what the people in the new crowd want. And so we need to take note of the pattern. When the sword strikes, there is a temptation for the people of God to scatter and to break away from the community of Jesus. And once you do this, you are easy prey for the crowd who stands around the fire. And so, how does Peter go from exuberant faith to denial? Step one is the big talk of Peter. Step two is the scattering of the disciples. Step three is the contagion of the crowd. And step four is the danger of not heeding the warning. Jesus warned Peter, just like he'd warned Judas. Jesus warned Peter, and Peter's brashness keeps him from listening. Jesus tells him, before the rooster crows, in verse 68, the rooster crows the first time. What was Peter thinking 
when he heard the rooster crow the first time? What was Peter thinking when he heard the warning? Why didn't Peter heed the warning? He heard the rooster. He heard the warning. He knew what it meant, but he didn't heed the warning. Why not? Why didn't this alter the path he was on? Well, again, notice the pattern. When you're joined to a new communal order, all of a sudden those warnings don't sound the same when you heard them originally. When we are on the path to sin, when we are joined with a new communal order, we tend to ignore the warnings. We hear the warnings. Peter heard the rooster crow. We hear the warnings, but they don't affect us. So what does that mean? Well, that means we need to preemptively tune our ears to not only hear the warning, but to respond to the warning. Maybe you train your kids on this. When they're young and you're at the park, you say, listen, you're always listening for my voice. There's going to be 10 other moms or dads there calling out to their kids. You know the sound of my voice. You hear my voice. You train your kids to not just hear the warning, but to heed the warning. And we need to do the same with the warnings that come from the Lord. We need to tune our ears, be prepared. What does the voice of the Lord sound like? What does the warnings of the Lord sound like? And we need to heed the warning and respond to the warning. And kids, for you, the warning comes primarily through your parents. This is God's grace to you. God gave you your parents to issue the warning and to train you and to teach you. And so you would do well to listen to them rather than ignore them. Now, the relationship of a 16-year-old, a 17-year-old, and an 18-year-old with their parents is going to look very different than the relationship of a 5-year-old. But you would still do well to listen to the warnings of your parents when you're 16 or 17 or 18 years old. No one loves you more than your parents. No one prays for you more than your parents. No one wants your good for you more than your parents. You would do well to listen to them, even when you're 16, even when you're 17 or 18 years old. You would do well to listen to them. They are the warning that God has put in your life. Don't be like Peter, who ignored the rooster the first time. And parents, realize that training your kids to hear and respond to your warnings, especially when they are young. Yes, you're training them to hear your voice so that they don't run in front of that car, and that's really important. But understand that there is a larger purpose to training your kids to hear your voice, to hear your warning. Training them to hear and respond to you is training them to hear and respond to God. When they're older and they need the warnings from the Lord, when they're on a dangerous path, they are being trained to hear the wise voice of their heavenly Father. And so the fourth step of Peter's denial is the danger of not heeding the warning. And so we see these four steps on Peter's journey from exuberant faith to denial. But now we need to ask, what does restoration look like? Unlike Judas, Peter is restored to the Lord. 
And what we see in this passage is that restoration means you must follow where Jesus leads. Let me show you what Mark is doing here. Look at verse 27. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Now verse 28. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. He's giving them the steps of restoration. They fled in verse 50. Peter denies them. They've scattered. And Jesus tells them, when I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Now this is fulfilled in Mark chapter 16, verse 7. But this is not merely predicting what will happen in the future after Christ is raised and, hey, you know, let's meet on the corner at such and such time in such and such place. That's not the full meaning here. Jesus is saying, I will go before you to Galilee. I will lead you as a shepherd leads his sheep. The sheep have scattered. They will be regathered. And Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 4, He says, the shepherd goes before them and the sheep Follow, for they know His voice. This is always the step of restoration. Listen for the voice of the Lord and follow the Lord. Follow the shepherd. You are sheep. You need a shepherd. Follow your shepherd. That is the steps of restoration. And so Jesus is assuring the disciples that He will regather them. They've denied Him and they've fled, but they will be regathered. And to be regathered after scattered means that Jesus will forgive them for fleeing. And Jesus will forgive Peter for denying him. And we see that play out after the resurrection. But for us, this means at least two things. First, it means if you are scattered, you can be regathered. People scatter away from Christ People scatter away from the body of Christ for all sorts of reasons. Maybe you were part of a church that had a messy ending, and so church hurt is your reason for scattering. Or maybe you're scattering because of your own sin. Or maybe you're scattering because you're joining up with a new crowd, a new communal order. Whatever the reason of your scattering, we learn from Peter that you can be regathered. And we also learn that if you are faithless, God remains faithful. Peter's temporary faithlessness does not nullify the faithful God who always acts in accordance with His character. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13 says, If we are faithless, He remains faithful. And I never understood that verse until I understood Peter's restoration. If you've never understood 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, just picture Peter. That's the meaning of the verse. This is a promise to believers who have failed temporarily. And this is what differentiates Peter from Judas. Peter, as we see in verse 72, feels sorrow for his sin. He weeps and he repents. Judas does none of this. Judas does not repent. And so Peter's repentance finds a Christ, a shepherd who's leading the way, who remains true to his character. Christ, who remains true to his promise, and therefore remains true to Peter. And in this we learn that our relationship with God stems from the character 
of God. And so in conclusion, the whole Christian life gets everything from Christ. Peter willingly forfeits his position, and the Lord graciously restores Peter. And after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus visits Peter personally and makes Peter a prominent leader in the early church, commanding Peter, feed my sheep. And this Peter does in a way that only one who experiences undeserved grace can. Peter, for us, is a monument of God's grace, a monument of God's great work of salvation where he makes all things new. Let's close by praying together. Heavenly Father, our relationship with you is all of grace. Peter's tears reflect his genuine sorrow and repentance. May we come to you confessing sin, not with arms crossed in indifference, but on our knees in the grief of discovering our own sin. Be merciful to us and wash away all the uncleanness of our sin with the merits of the precious blood which Christ shed for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. Amen.